Good morning. I'm Associate Pastor John Henson, and we are so glad and so thankful that you have joined us this morning to worship with us on Apostles Houston Online. And as we continue in our worship, I invite you to stand as we turn to God's Word and we read from the Gospel according to John. Our reading today comes from John chapter 16, verses 25 through 33. And Jesus said, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day, the day that you have given us to now gather and come to you, Lord. We pray that as we uh, open your scripture, as we study uh, First Peter, that you would speak loudly and boldly, and Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to be moved by you, to be formed by you, to be stirred by you. Lord, that we would know more about who we are in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now we are in the midst of our study in our series, Beyond the Walls a study of 1 Peter. And over the past few weeks, we have been studying and discovering that in order to know how to live, we have to know and understand who we are. In order to live fully into the life that God has for us and created us for beyond the walls, in the midst of everyday life, we must know who we are in Jesus Christ. And to help us with that, we've been studying this letter from 1 Peter. And as we move into our passage today, Peter begins to turn his attention to address everyone, to instruct and to encourage all who hear this letter, all who read this letter. And that's where we pick up with today's passage from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 22. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience that, so that when you are slandered, 
those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today, as we study this passage from 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to really take a deep look at three dynamics uh, that Peter describes to his hearers, both then and today. Uh, he begins with first a summary and a description of how Christians are to live in relationship with one another, a way that is a direct reflection of Jesus and the way that Jesus himself lived. He then moves to the second part and describes what to expect when living into this call. What is it that, that Christians can expect when they start to live and reflect the character of Jesus? And then he concludes in the last part with a call to a life of hope, given the reality of what life brings as a follower of Jesus. And so we start here with verse 8, where Peter, uh, in this passage, wraps up some instructions for living a life reflective of Jesus, living a life reflecting the character that Jesus reflects, that Jesus embodied. And he begins with the phrase, finally, all of you, meaning everyone, everyone. So there's not just this group or this group. Everybody pay attention. Everybody listen. And he tells them, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. I mean, what an incredible list of characteristics, right? Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. I mean, this is a lofty goal, a lofty call that Peter is telling Christians to live. Selfless, tender, humble lives, living for the other, giving up selfish ambition, selfish desires, and seeking this, this type of harmony with one another. A life that is self-sacrificial. He's calling people to live like Jesus. To love one another in a way that seeks the good for the other person. And Jesus came to the earth and, and in his own life lived this way. And that's not a way that we would naturally probably think that a king or the creator of the universe would live. But Jesus came and lived humbly. Walking. Loving those who attacked him. Loving those who reviled him, loving those who were on the fringes of society, loving those who followed him immediately, loving those who denied his name, loving those who were maybe on the outskirts of the socioeconomic background, those who were in tension with racial and status and, and geographic barriers. Out of his love for all people, he gave everything to draw others closer to God. He humbly gave himself. He sacrificed himself in a way uh, that, that we could never begin to imagine just because he loves us. And we're going to touch a little more on that in a bit. Because we're being called to now live and reflect that character. 
But what we see is that it follows the same lines as what Jesus experienced, that Peter uh, then begins to talk about the dynamic of what to expect. So he's like, look, live this way. Live in this self-sacrificial way, and here's what you can expect. Expect to experience exactly what Jesus did. Jesus doesn't tell his readers and his hearers, and he doesn't tell us, hey, you know, you follow Jesus, and then when the Holy Spirit moves in you and you become more like Jesus, you live this incredible self-sacrificial and humble life, that it's just going to be great. People are going to hold you up. They're going to lift you up. They're going to praise you. You're going to be standing on top of the mountains. You're going to fly up the status of society. Everything's going to be great. Success is going to just be waiting at your doorstep when you live like this. That's not what he says. He doesn't give a false sense of security or paint a picture. Also, that's just like, and we'll see what happens. He doesn't leave it open to the imagination. He instead gives us a, a, a picture of what to expect. Now, for his original audience, those living in this first century Greco-Roman culture and world, this type of life he describes is one that would have been countercultural to what success and power would have sought. It would have been these qualities actually, instead of even being like, you know, that's a good thing. You know, maybe you can seek after that. They actually would have been disdained and completely disregarded. They would have been people living like this would have been seen as weak, not able to stand their own ground, not going to not going to be successful. People of power do not live in that way. And that's the cultural dynamic that Peter knows. He knows this as he writes this letter. And he doesn't shy away from it because he addresses it head on. Jumping to verse 13, he says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? And his hearers be, well, everybody, everybody could harm us, right? That's what I think, you know, we think like, man, if I live like this, the whole culture is going to be against me. And Peter says, but even if you should suffer, okay, I get it. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. And have no fear, nor be troubled. When I, when I kind of think of something that's going to bring all of the world around me come crashing down on me, the, the first thing I'm thinking is fear and trouble. And it doesn't stop there because he doesn't just say if it happens. He says now in verse 16, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good then it should be, if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. So that when you are slandered, when you're reviled for your good behavior, when you're reviled for being like Jesus. So suffering, slandering, reviling are not an if, but they're a win. It's a certainty. There's no question that it's going to happen. I mean, these are like not the most of encouraging words, right? Hey, come be like Jesus, follow him, live this life, and what you will get in return is pain. The world going against you. You're going to be going against culture. You're not going to be revered or praised. You're actually going to be the complete opposite. You're going to live different from the rest of the world and what they think is good. In most cases, I don't, when I make decisions, don't make decisions based on this type of understanding. Hey, let me choose to live a life or make a decision that is going to draw Conflict that's going to draw reviling from other people, that's going to draw attack and slandering from others. That's not what I feel like is the best way to make a decision. 
My most natural thought is the complete opposite of that, to do things that are going to, in order to live joyfully, do things where they will be up building, where people are going to see that as good, where only good will come from it, where the results of my relationships will get better, where the world will get better. It's more of this optimistic thinking about like, man, I want to make decisions that's going to lead to good results, comfort, stability, things of that nature. But that's not what Peter's describing here. Peter's telling Christians then, he's telling believers and followers of Jesus now and today that the more we become like Jesus, the more that you reflect who he is as you live this way, it's going to not only result in, but also invite resistance. It's going to result in us going against the natural flows of the culture and the world around us. People aren't going to applaud and lift us up. It's not going to bring comfort and stability. In fact, it's going to, to bring discomfort to ourselves. And I think that's something that, that they related to then and they understood in the first century as Peter wrote this letter, but it's also something 2,000 years later that we can easily relate to now. Where we see that these types of virtues, the virtues of the church, the things prescribed in the Bible, the things that are deemed to be Christ-like and godly and holy, set apart for those who believe in Jesus, are not the cultural norms. And it becomes a further distance every single year, every single day. That we see what, what Jesus would talk about with love, with marriage, when he talks about money, that it goes against what the culture is telling us. That to stand firm in those faiths and those truths now definitely invite resistance from the world around us. Whether it's in person or on social media, whether it's an article written for us or to us, man, it's going right after that. It's going and attacking the very things that Jesus called us to do, the very life that Jesus called us to live. And honestly, it's things that we often then avoid because of that. We try not to bring up those conversations when we're at dinner, the dinner table, when we're talking with our friends and our family members. It's even conversations that even in the church we sometimes steer clear of because of the worry and the fear of what those conversations may bring. We may step on other people's toes. So instead of standing firm and continuing to present the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, we kind of just sidestep it, step around Let's just, let's give these parts of the gospel, but let's avoid this because they may ruffle feathers. But Peter's not calling us to walk around that way. He calls, he says, all of you live this way. Even when this happens, live this way. Even when things go south, live in this truth. Even when people attack you, stand firm and know who you are in Jesus Christ. Be confident in what Christ has promised I mean, Jesus warns us about the cost of following him. And in John's, and our reading from John 16, he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. This is a matter of fact. It's not just Peter who says this, but Jesus says this too. That Jesus, God made flesh, the savior of the world, he himself has told us, hey, this is going to happen. And why is that? Because he says in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. This is going to happen because the world has first hated Jesus. And Jesus is the the greatest example we have of doing exactly what Peter has called us to. It's not like this is a call to us and saying like, hey, just try to do this. No one's ever done it. It can't be done. I mean, it, it can't be done perfectly. And that's why Jesus has done it for us. But we see that Jesus in the midst of this is saying, hey, I'm living by example here. 
I've gone before you. I've walked this journey. I've endured the deepest of pains. Jesus saying, I know the road that lies ahead of you. I know the suffering that's going to happen. And I've suffered it already. And I've suffered it for you. I've already done it. And he did so willingly, knowing what was going to happen because of his love for us. Because he loves us so much that he said, hey, I'm going to do this no matter what the cost is. And it cost him his life. He walked without fear and trembling, even when it was uncomfortable and even when it meant that he was going to not just be verbally reviled or verbally attacked, but when he was physically attacked, when he was even arrested, beaten, and murdered. But in his life, in the midst of those situations, he's shown us how to walk. Walk when people are questioning. Walk when people are attacking. Walk when people just think you're out of your mind and it doesn't even make sense. How to walk humbly and quietly and respectfully and with gentleness. And this brings us to the last part that Jesus addresses, where we truly need to lean on our understanding and our knowledge of who we are in Christ. And that is our call to live as people of hope, even though we know we're going to experience suffering for our faith. Peter says to have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but honor Christ the Lord as holy, always, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And yet do it with gentleness and respect. We don't have to be taken by surprise because we know, we know what's going to come. We know what lies before us. Now, hope is an interesting concept because when I was thinking about what it would mean to hope in this way, to live in this hope, I I really pushed down deep and asked myself, what are the things that I hope for? Where is my hope found? And what I realized as I thought through this and reflected on this, that a lot of things really are actually this futuristic, unfulfilled desire that I hope is going to be completed. Whether it's health for my family, that the economy will go well, that we will have stability, that you know, things will go well uh, in ministry and in life, that uh, all these things may, you know, that our family would be, uh, continue to be in good relationship with one another, that I'd be able to do this or that, whatever it was. It was always something that is yet to be done, yet to be filled, and was really an optimistic, futuristic thinking. But what I realized in that is that if I hope in those things, when life comes and swerves, as many of us have experienced, especially in the last few months, what do we do with that hope? It is, it's built on nothing because it is nothing to be done yet. It has yet to be completed. But what we see is that the hope Peter describes is not that. That the hope isn't a futuristic thing in what we, ho- like we optimistically desire to be accomplished, but it is a hope and a certainty in what Jesus Christ has already done. That we can trust and know who we are and have hope in the midst of the sufferings and the pains and the trials because of what Jesus has already accomplished. And J.I. Packer has described the difference between that kind of worldly optimism and hope, of God, hope in God in this way. As he writes, optimism is a wish without warrant. Christian hope is a certainty guaranteed by God himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever actually come. Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of his life and every moment beyond it, the believer can say with truth on the basis of God's own commitment that the best is yet to become. Hope in Jesus is certain and stable because it is founded in what God has accomplished and what he will fulfill, that he has already done the work himself. He is already, and he is completing it himself. Peter writes in verse 18 that for Christ suffered once 
for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He has suffered for us. It's already been done. And to hope in Jesus tells us that these trials, that all these things, that the hope in what he has already done means that this won't last forever. That these attacks, these problems and experiences are not going to be the way we spend eternity. That there is an end that Jesus has overcome and has suffered for us for those things. Now, admittedly, that this can seem very out there and abstract. It can seem very difficult to grasp um, and say, so then what do I do? How How do I get to be a person of hope in that way, trusting in God in that way through these circumstances? Real quickly, I want to go through um, six ways that we can begin to, to live as people of hope. That we pray that the Holy Spirit, through these ways, can shape us and form us to live in hope of what Jesus has already done in our day-to-day lives. And the first is pray often and get in the Bible. Pray often and get in the Bible. Pray without ceasing. Read the Bible daily, every single moment that we can. Pray, just if we don't know what to pray, say the name of Jesus. Come to God, not sanitizing our prayers and trying to make them sound just right, but coming to him with all things. Read the Bible, pray through the Bible, pray through the Psalms, because his, we cannot neglect his word because the gift of his word shapes us and tells us and assures us of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and reminds us of who we are, which is our second one. Remember who you are in Christ. I hear James Earl Jones' voice from the Lion King when he's telling Simba, and Simba's like, do I live the way that I'm supposed to live in the life I was born into, or do I go this other way? I don't know. I'm not sure which way to go. And his father says, remember who you are. And that's what we're to do. Remember who we are in Jesus Christ. Remind yourself daily. Write it on, on a board. Put it in your pocket. Put it in your wallet. Put it on your fridge. Put it on your mirror. Whatever it is, so that you can remember who you are in Jesus Christ, that you are chosen. He has given his life for you. He loves you. You are forgiven. You have hope because of eternity with him as his child. And because of that, it leads us to number three. We are able to give gratitude and praise. Name how faithful God has been in your life. Actually write it down. Create a journal, create a blog, whatever it may be to remember God's goodness throughout all of history and throughout your whole life. Because sometimes when the trials and the pains come of life, those things can go away very quickly and we need something right there to remind us of how good God is so then we can praise his name. Giving him thanks for who he is every single moment of every day. We need to be people who are constantly giving gratitude and praise to God for who he is. And in doing these things, it'll help us with number four, which is to check our motivations. To honestly look at ourselves and see, why are we doing things? Are we living this selfless, self-sacrificial life? Or are we really actually living as a, as a means of self-preservation? Are we living in confidence of who God is? And what he has done and what he has promised, or are we living fearfully because we don't actually trust in that? I often find myself that if I really look deeply, I'm a little more selfishly motivated and a little more fearful than I would ever want to admit. And there's no shame because I, that's when I was like, as I was thinking about this, was like, Lord, I need you to move in this. Bring that to the Lord. We check our motivations, not to make ourselves feel bad and guilty, but to help center ourselves and that the Holy Spirit can use that to help propel us forward. 
And in that, it's also important for, to then for number five, to gather with other believers. That is, that especially in the times when we are down and out, in these places where we feel vulnerable and exposed, to not neglect to meet and gather with other people, our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Because part of our identity is remembering that we are also part of the family of God. Now, this can be weird during this time of, uh, of social distancing and quarantining and all that stuff, but it's also giving us an opportunity to get creative virtually, uh, phone call, FaceTime, whatever it may be, saying you know, hi uh, over the fence of our neighborhoods, having conversations in our driveways that go beyond pleasantries and hellos, but really we can still sit down. I mean, we've, we've even had like playdates in driveways before with, with other kids and our, and our kids. So what, whatever we can do, be creative. Don't neglect to meet and to gather with other believers. It's part of understanding and knowing our identity in Jesus Christ. And that leads us to our last one, to give selflessly. There are times and even occasions that this can come more easily and naturally for us. But then again, when the trials and the pains and that attack comes, we kind of go into self-preservation and defense mode. That even when things are hard, we give our time. Even when things are short, we still give our money. We still give our talents. When we're depleted, we still give what we can, all that we have to the Lord. We give all that we have to others. This flows and will flow more naturally the more that we go through all these things, the more that we pray and read the Bible, the more we are reminded of who we are in Jesus Christ, the more we practice gratitude and praise, the more we check our motivations and gather with other believers, we are going to be able and be moved to give selflessly. Now, all of these things can seem kind of jarring um, and a lot to take on, but the incredible thing is the more we do this, they don't become just disciplines and practices, they become a part of who we are. They become the part of the way we just live because the Holy Spirit through these things moves us and shapes us. And in becoming more like Jesus, we do the things that Jesus did more naturally because it's more a part of our identity of who we are. So pray often, get in the Bible, remind yourself of who you are in Christ, practice gratitude and praise, check your motivations, gather with other believers and practice giving selflessly and abundantly in that. These are just a few ways that we can begin to live into this life that Peter has called us into, that Jesus has called us into. And in doing so, they become part of who we are so that we can stand firm and strong in the midst of the greatest trials and pains of life. And as followers of Jesus, we can live as people of hope. That as the Spirit moves in us and forms us and shapes us into more of the image of God, that we, we are going to become subject to more ridicule, hate, and judgment. But even so, we actually can live as people of joy, trusting in the goodness of God. And that these practices will help us be more grounded and founded on our feet, stand on a firmer foundation of remembering and knowing who that is. As a child of God, we live as people of hope. Hope in the healing that God has brought and will bring. Hope in the fact that Jesus died so that suffering is not eternal, it is not forever. Hope in the times that are dark and most trying because we know that Jesus has suffered for us. So remember, remember who you are in Jesus Christ, a child of God, and let hope arise and lead you on. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, encouraging us, even in the midst of trials and pains and tribulations, to live selflessly for you and for one another. Lord, it is only by your Holy Spirit that we can do that. So we pray that you would move in such a grand way, Lord.
such a grand way. Lord, in that doing so, we would reflect who you are more and that would move us into our mission and our call to spread your gospel to the ends of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' powerful and saving name. Amen.